I am your host, Carrie Scollin, giving us different perspectives on where we are and where we want to go on our journey. Thanks for being here, and I look forward to spending some time with you. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another session of the Founder Series. I am your host, Carrie Scollin. I am pretty excited about the guest I have here today. I can't wait to share her with you. Her name is Dr. Jody Carrington. She is a mama of three. I think that is one of the most important things to say first. A renowned psychologist, a speaker, an author, a leader, a really just amazing person, in my opinion. She is the most real person I think I've ever come across. Authentic, I know, is a word that has been used a lot, but it just describes her. And she's hilarious. So I'm not going to wait any longer. Dr. Jody, thank you so much for being here. I cannot wait to dive in to all you have and the book that was just released. So Carrie, I'm so excited to be here. Really? Like, I mean, we we've met over a year ago. And so I was so excited to hear this project you were starting and oh my goodness. And here we are. And it's all the things. Let's do it. Here we are. Yes. So let's start with feeling scene. It was just released in the end of, was it January 17th? Was that the date? January 17th. You got it. January 17th, uh, you're on a, well, I wouldn't say worldwide tour, but you're in the States and Canada, right? That's the start of it. Yep. And you are in Halifax right now joining us. Yes. Yeah. We just left Toronto uh, a couple of days ago and then had a little stop in New Brunswick. And then now we're in Halifax tonight. Yeah. And then we fly to Vancouver tomorrow morning, as you do. As oh, you do, oh you should God. really leave Halifax and go to Vancouver all in the same mother pack and day. So it's fine. It's fine. Oh, and when are you, when do you get to see um, my uh, friend who's not really my friend, but one day I think we're going to be friends, Brad Gushu. When's that? Brad Gushu, yeah. our, our respective boyfriend who we've talked about. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so Brad, I'm going to go uh, try to get screeched in for the uh, 50th time in my life. Um, <laughs> that date's in March, I think. Is it Marty? Oh, good. Yeah. February 20th. Oh, okay. Great. Okay. So in three weeks, three weeks, we're out in Newfoundland. So I, I was so excited. You know, it's interesting because, I mean, the book, as you know, is called Feeling Seen. And when we looked at, you know, some of the places that we wanted to stop, um, part of what we know we can't automate ever is relationship. And so I was like, where could we go in this world that have just done such a beautiful job of making us feel seen? And I have to tell you, like East Coasters for me have always had a piece of my heart, but there's something about Newfoundland for me. And so it is going to be ridiculously difficult to get to the rock. And once we get there, I mean, I already can't wait. So yeah. anyway, Brad's there obviously, but so is fish, chips, dress and gravy and um, a lot of, good music and George drink. So I love it. I love that you're doing this. And I totally agree with you that a book tour was, was absolutely necessary for this book. It is about connection. Well, actually I like what you said. It's actually about reconnection. Yeah. I mean, I I think when we started this whole process, it was always about, you know, connection was a part of the platform. And I realized connection is the easy part. Like we can all do this. We can wave at our neighbor. uh, We can go on a second date. We can, you know, buy coffee for somebody we don't know. We're so much nicer to other people's children. But reconnection is the tricky piece, right? It's like, how do you repair when shit goes sideways? And that's going to happen. 
right? It's not like none of us are in a relationship where we're just blissfully happy all all the time. None of us are happy about our parenting abilities. None of us, nobody's generally always happy about the people that they've chosen to surround themselves with. So what do you do when reconnection is the issue in relationship? And the Gottmans have probably done some of the most profound research around marriage that um, I have read for years. And they're so interesting because they say, listen, it's not how much you fight or how much sex you have or don't have, how much money you have that predicts the success in long-term relationship. It is your ability to repair when yes. things don't go well. Yes. And, and I don't think we, we, we sort of focus on that enough with our kids or our, our, our colleagues even is we just sort of hope everything's going to be okay. We're like, we're good. It's good. It's good. We're, we're fine. It's fine. You know, yes. oh, don't worry about it. Because particularly as women, right? We yep. have a really hard time saying like, hey, just a second, can we talk about that for a second? Or like, you know, when you sat in front of our friends last night, like, what the fuck did you mean by that? Right? <sighs> And I yes. think sometimes when we don't do those things, that is the the part of like the disconnect that perpetuates itself, right? Because we just assume, uh, particularly if we've been in a non, you know, independent role or submissive role or you know whatever the deal is, or a job is just this, we're just a whatever. Yeah. Um, it there, there's really no language or no ability to be like, no, just a second, like we let's let's dive back into that. And so yeah. I think that reconnection piece has become mm-hmm. the epitome, not only just to the people around you, but to yourself. Yeah. Because, yeah. you know, we think, okay, yeah, now we're on a workout routine. We should be good. Uh, we did yoga yesterday. We should be good. We journaled one time in last June. Uh, <laughs> this constant reconnection to ourselves, yeah. our values, our breath, um, you know, are the people who matter yeah. the most to us. That's never an end game. Right. Totally. And I think we just sort of think everybody else on our social media feeds have arrived, um, you know, because we're like, holy fuck, she's drinking the collagen. And like this one just got family pictures. Like, obviously, everybody else is so much happier than that. nobody's happy. Everybody's yeah. assholery ish trying to hang on. <laughs> So I wish we could just normalize that a little bit more. I totally, I totally agree. It, part of that book where you're talking about the Gottmans, um, I love the exercise, which I, before my husband left for work today, I said, I've got an exercise that we're going to do tonight when you get home. He's like, is it going to, what's it going to lead to? Is it going to lead to <laughs> I'm like, of course, that's what you think. Of course, that is the first thing you go to. I said, well, it could, I'm not guaranteeing anything, but it might. It might. But that's the four minutes. I love, I love how you described it in the book when you did this with your husband. It was like, he, I know, his response was like, why are we doing this? I know. So, so what Carrie's talking about is, is we often talk a little bit about how, like, it is so, despite the fact that we're wired for connection, um, from a neurophysiological perspective, we've never been this disconnected in the history of the free world. Our houses are bigger. Uh, we're, we work remotely. Our kids are always in activities. We spend very little time face-to-face with the people we love and we lead. And so much of this is interesting because despite the fact that we're wired for connection, one of the hardest things we will ever do is look into the eyes of the people we love. Mm-hmm. And when I started to read that as a psychologist, that's you know concerning for me. We, we're so disconnected. The answer is reconnection. But it's going to be so hard to do that, particularly if you don't trust people, if you have a trauma history, if you've ever been um, hurt by people, the ones that stand to create the most trauma in your life, the thing, if you will, is people. Mm-hmm. And it is the exact same thing that is required in healing. 
And so it's very difficult to say to anybody who's been hurt by a human that you can trust me in this relationship so that we can start to heal and, and provide corrective experiences. And yeah. so when I was reading Anand's work, um, he's a, a researcher out of Singapore. His entire platform is based around this concept of the four minutes of connection. And he's replicated this globally many times to really talk about how hard it is for people to sit and look at each other for four minutes. Yeah. And when I just you know, I read this first time. I was like, how hard can it be? My personal husband and I, we've been married for 15 years. We have three children on the ground together. Like I'm fairly connected to him. Like how hard can it be to, to look at him for three minutes? So I went home um, that night and he's, we're exact opposite in so many ways. So he's got a spreadsheet for everything. Everything's very like timed out in our world. It drives me nuts. And um, I just said to him, hey, hon, I was just reading this research today. Do you think we could sit down and just like look at each other for four minutes? And you know what he said? He said to me, why? <laughs> and so then in my head, I was like, holy shit, like maybe Anon is right. This is hard. And I was like, roll up. I was like, sit down you, because I'm your bride. That's why you're looking at me. And so then we sit on this couch and he's like, oh, my God, really? And I was like, yes. He said, well, can I time it? Oh, okay. So he gets up to stopwatch and we get set up and we start looking at each other. And so he starts to stopwatch and then he calls a timeout. Like not even within the first five seconds, he calls a timeout. I'm like, you, a timeout. What do you, what do you mean a timeout? And he said, I just have a question. He said, I want to know specifically, what am I looking for? I was like, holy shit. He was like, did you get a new haircut? Did you get like, he didn't want to be wrong on this activity, you see? And I was like, just look at me and then he asked if we could take breaks and i was like holy christ i mean we barely got divorced i mean we we almost got divorced in this moment and it's interesting because the the replication of this research it, it often happens in the first 30 seconds of looking at somebody you love there's a lot of this you know like if you just think about trying to do this with a parent or a sibling um you know even a best friend it becomes really difficult because um there's you're watching how they're responding. You don't want to get too vulnerable first. There's really a dance to truly seeing another human, right? We look for cues that it's safe to step in and become more vulnerable. And if we get any of those indications that this is dumb or um, you're not valued in this process, okay, fine. Then let's not do it then. You're being an idiot. Huh? Yeah. Yeah. And it's safer to retreat. And so he just sort of replicated this very many times. And if you can, you know, sort of make it to the one minute mark, you start to notice some things that you haven't seen before. And if you can actually make it to, you know, the three and a half, four minute mark, you tend to get emotional because mm -hmm. so many people that we love, um, much of our relationship is written without words. Much of our relationship is when we slow down long enough and look at another, we remember the things that we've done together. We we see the softness around their eyes that we haven't noticed for a while. We, you know, we know each other's faces, um, you know, quite remarkably well. But when we don't look, we sort of forget those things. Yeah. And if yes. you do this with like a parent, um, you know, for example, sometimes some of the research really pan fantastic because you start to notice things that you haven't seen, you know, that they're aging or that there's things about them that, you know, that, that weren't there before. And right. so it just, it, there's, there's a lot of emotion that gets evoked in that process. So, yeah, I just, I mean, I, I just think it's phenomenal. And very uncomfortable, but very rewarding if you can get through it. Right. Yeah. We'll yeah. see what happens tonight. Yeah. Like <laughs> I keep let you all know what happened. <laughs> so, so Dr. Jody, for you to do this book, which I, I think I pulled it up, you can see all of my, I have marked almost 
something in every single chapter of this book. I've highlighted, marked, I'm going to go back. Like I admitted to you, I did not finish the book before our conversation today. I didn't want to pretend that I had gotten to the end because I don't want to rush it. And that the very first part of your book, you go into some pretty deep, um, what, what, would, what would be the right word? Practices. I love how you wrap everything up at the end and give us some questions to just to reflect back on, to think about how it relates to us and how really how we can be better. Um, and then the part that I got to was the empathy. So for you in the short time that we have, I would love to hear your summarization and what you hoped the message would be from the book. Yeah, I mean, that's a great question. It, it was so interesting because the first book we wrote, or I wrote, was called Kids These Days. And it's um, we self-published it because I'd been speaking a little bit. And, um, you know, the, the world of book publishing is really tricky. If anybody's ever written a book who, who listened to you, I never considered myself an author. I still don't. Um, but I was a speaker first. And so um, when we started to do that across Canada, the question was, you know, do you have a book? Do you have a book? And I was like, no, I'm never writing everything like ever again after the dissertation. I was like, I'm never writing again, anything again. And then um, basically, you know, everything that I've been talking about on stage, we put in a book called Kids These Days. And so self-published and it sold, it became a national bestseller. And I was like, holy shit, this is good. Uh, and so then we started to see more and I wrote another little book for teachers called um, Teachers These Days. It did yeah. well. And then HarperCollins came to me um, and said, listen, we we watched these first two books. Would you write a book for us? Um, and this was during the pandemic. And I was like, oh, shit, let me just check my schedule. Yes. <laughs> so their request was, we really want you to speak to um, the state of relationships in the world. Right. And, you know, I want you to think about a book, a more general book, like thing, something that could be in, in airports and Costco and like something that just really talks about virtual relationship. And I said, well, I already know what it would be called. And they said, no, no, you can pitch the proposal next week. And I was like, no, no, no it, it will be called feeling seen because, you know, this is the issue. If we're, we're so uh, incredibly full of love and connection and desire to be seen by the humans, but we've never been this disconnected. And so if you want the answer to relationships, it's really allowing the people that you love and you lead to feel seen in your presence and so um when we started to unpack it i i i write best when i'm by myself um i love it when i'm in um hotel rooms by myself typically fairmonts seem to work better for me i don't know one of those <laughs> and i'm just joking my husband's like for god's sake we're on food stamps anyway so i um we, I, I did that a little bit and it was like interesting to, we generally want to just fix it. Okay. So given the mental health crisis in the world, given, you know, we're in this sort of, I don't know, mid pandemic that continues to sort of go on. We just want to get back to normal. We want to get back to the state of emotional regulation. But what we often miss is really unpacking all the hard parts yes. because, you know, you, you can't address what you won't acknowledge. And so I knew that this book really had to be in three pieces. One was like all the things that are disconnecting us. Yeah. And it's actually the largest part of the book. It's all of the shit. So we start the book in this really hard place of like, okay, guess what? 
It's things like we don't have an emotional language like we used to. We are living way more farther apart than we ever have been. Let's talk about trauma and the weight of the workplace. Let's talk about racism and colonization and marginalization. Let's talk about like all of the things mm -hmm. that rip our souls apart and the reason why we're here. Because yeah. if we don't, we're going to get into the last half of the book and people are going to be, like, yes, but you didn't think about. What right. about, what about, what about? So I really wanted that first part to be so like, huh, can everybody see a little piece of themselves in terms of why it might be that they have, you know, felt disconnected these days? Well, and, I, uh, I found that in, when I was reading it, it was like you were talking to me because I got, I think it was on page 44 and you said, if you're looking to skip this part and get to the end with the answers in it, I was like, oh, <laughs> I think she might have said you're reading this. Yeah. That's what it was. We want to go straight to the answer. Tell me what to do. How do I fix it? And you're like, you got to stay here because this part is even more important for you if you're trying to skip it. You do. And we, you know, we were just, I was just having a conversation this morning about, you know, emotions and our, our desire to get to this place of happiness. Um, but that there actually are no bad parts. And we, we spend such a long time, you know, trying to avoid anxiety or shame or the parts of us that we just really don't like, you know, mm -hmm. but those are so necessary to invite to the table because there are no bad parts. And when you sort of give it that space, uh, it doesn't take on a life of its own. And mm -hmm. then, so, so truly the second part of the book is, you know, coming down to the answer to it all, which for me is acknowledgement. Yes. Um, and I just unpack what that word means to me and how indigenous peoples in this country have taught me truly what it means to acknowledge another and uh, how empathy is sort of the golden thread that sort of strings all of that together. Mm -hmm. And then the last part of the book is, is really, I think, critical for me. It's like what happens when we get lost? Not, not sort of if, because mm -hmm. we're all going to mess it up again, but yeah. when? Because again, you know, we, we read, I think many self-help books that say like, okay, here's, here's the one, two, three, here's what you do. Here's the ABC, but nobody says, and don't forget, you're also going to feel like shit again very soon. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and so here's what you do when you fall off. So mm -hmm. it really, I mean, when I said to our publisher, Brad, I was like, you know, I would really love this to be a timely book that is timeless. How can mm -hmm. we come back? to it again and again and again you know so there's so many people that i love uh every single one of Brene's books i've read a million times when i think about you know anybody who has a strong theoretical basis that have, has really influenced me over the years like the, you know john bowlby or peter levine or bruce perry or any of those like really philosophical practices really allow me to sort of sink back into that again and again and again so that's what i hope this book will do someday i'm um I have no doubt that it will. I also love the part of when you talk about uh, emotional regulation and what really fascinated me. And I know I'm going to go back and read these chapters because there's so much to digest in there. And um, so I just honor you for for how much information you did put in the book, but in, in such a way that um, I want to read it. I want to understand. I want to learn more. That's what this book has given me. And you, you talk a lot to first responders. I would love, I'd love to, for you to touch on that, but also what really was fascinating to me in that part was we send our first responders out there and their first um, initial entry, I guess, is dealing with people who are not emotionally regulated at that time. So they're they're coming in and they have to deal with people that 
are not thinking clearly, obviously, if they've come to this state, but how much training do they get on regulating their own emotions that they can deal with that? Zero. I just, yeah, I was just like, what? And, and I think that that's really interesting in any human services profession, right? Like, you know, teaching, this is why I love educators so much, but uh, nurses, physicians, uh, police officers, firefighters, the, the job is to serve emotionally dysregulated people, right? It is actually not to first and foremost, right? Yes, it is to put out a fire or make sure the community is safe, but you have to be exceptionally skilled at dealing with emotional regulation of people if you want to be successful and not take on everybody else's trauma. But right. we don't do a very good job of that. In fact, we do a really shitty job of looking after first responders in this country. And we put continually, knowingly, multiple times a shift, put them in positions where marginalized people will be extremely emotionally dysregulated. Because typically speaking, the those who struggle the most with emotional regulation have had the hardest stories because nobody's been there to walk them home to date. Huh? And so we're going to put first responders in that situation again and again and again and again and again and do nothing to unpack those stories, which means it's going to eat them from the inside out. It's a perpetual breeding ground for racism. It's a perpetual breeding, breeding ground for burnout and emotional exhaustion and fear for your own family, which really then discombobulates your ability to stay connected to the people you love, right? Yes. So, yeah. It is one of the, I think, most um, holiest professions. And when we've ever been at our worst, if I think about, you know, the, the, the car accidents that I've ever been in, or, you know, when I'm waiting for a diagnosis in a hospital or, you know, my mother-in-law's crashing on the table, what I need is those people desperate. I'm desperate for them to be competent in those moments. And, um, in some of our most vulnerable emotions, we hope that those people are at their best. Those right. people, we hope the people that serve in emergency services are going to be at their best. And we do a very poor job of looking after them. And yeah. even, you know, there's very little acknowledgement, you know, mm -hmm. because we don't have time in the moment. We're like, oh my God, oh my God. <laughs> and then always in our head many times. I mean, I've thought of it this many times. I should go back and thank that, you know, paramedic, or I'm going to go back to the hospital and figure out where that physician was that sort of helped us navigate these things. And we fucking never do. Rarely, barely. Anyways, I don't know about you, but I don't. The intention yeah. is great, but the perception is hard. And yeah. um, Gabor Mate talks about this, which I think is really interesting. He said, listen, there's no such thing as compassion fatigue because you don't get tired of caring. What right. you get tired is when people stop acknowledging you for doing the work of caring for others. Mm -hmm. And I love that because we're, we're biologically wired for connection, but in order to keep this world turning, we are going to have to get so much better at acknowledging each other who serves us, which will require emotional regulation for us. You can't acknowledge another if you're emotionally dysregulated yourself. Right. And do you think we're getting better? Do you think? No, fuck no. No, no. Like, how? Is no, it having no, we're a disaster, Carrie. That's what I think, too. Better. How do we do that? Is it is it's by people like you writing books like this to bring yeah, awareness to it? To yeah. It's up to everybody who I hope reads this book because this is not the job of a senior leader. No yes. premier or prime minister or president is going to come out and be like, okay, here's the plan. We're going to fund this, whatever. We have to evoke the emotion and the desire of, of you and me instead of all of us waiting for like somebody to serve us better. Uh, I should have married somebody else or I wish my kids would be nicer. I got to find a better job or a better boss. Okay, you can do that. But the issue is most of us are emotionally dysregulated right now. So what is our plan? And the more you give it away, the more you get it back mm, yeah that's that's very so, true. so today you know the, the call to action is always about like what's the next 
best, right, kind thing. Yeah. So if you give somebody a compliment today, before you go to bed tonight, that's your only job, right? Give somebody a compliment. Pick mm -hmm. up your phone and text somebody who you love right now and say, I don't know if I tell you this enough, but you matter to me. Yeah. And just watch what happens. Yeah. People are suspicious when we're kind. Yeah. When you wave at them, they're like, what, what the shit's going on with her? Huh? And I, I send my husband a text and I'm like, I, you know, I don't know if I tell you this enough, but you matter to me. And he says this to me, what'd you buy? <laughs> There's no like, oh, babe, you're amazing. It's like, what is happening over there? What do you want? <laughs> I, I love this part also in the book where you talk about the waving. And you wave at random people just to see what their reaction is. And we have done that since the kids were little, whenever we're leaving, especially their grandparents. Like we're all in the window and we're, we called it the crazy wave. Or if we saw them pull up the driveway and we're in the window, we're all crazy waving. But the happiness that that brings by such a simple gesture is massive. It is. We, didn't, we didn't know why we were doing it. It was just fun. And we were really wanting them to know how excited we were to see them. Yeah, well, it's the light up. other people, but yeah, it's the light up like, um, you know, Toni Morrison talks about this in the bluest eye um, one of the best books in the history of the free world. And she said, um, you know, that's what anybody needs is somebody to be crazy about them. Right. Yeah. What, that's yeah. what they're looking for yeah. is when they come in through the door, just the, like that. Yeah. yeah. The light up. And you can imagine, you know, what happens if your partner, if you're still married, comes through the door tonight and you go, <gasps> they're like, well, me, me, yeah. you're excited to see me, right? Yeah. Yeah. And we keep waiting for somebody to do it for us. And it's true, we shouldn't be always the one to initiate it, but it, here's the issue, like feeling seen is such um, uh, an unsynchronized dance. Somebody has to start it. Yeah, and we're you usually have to seen it. more by our dog. Oh, this is why everybody gets a dog. I mean, yeah. because yeah. it's like, it is that unconditional, stepping into um that we really really adore and i think if you ever watch like an airport reunion or a two-year-old sort of like run towards a grandparent like that's the thing um but your light up doesn't need to be crazy you know my light up is always over the top ha! Huh? but my father's light up i talk about this all the time my father's light up the one who you know i probably want to impress most in this world you know he's dead in the back where you know i have an auditorium full of people and you know i'm, I'm talking about a book i wrote or something like that and, and he'll i'll come to the back and he'll go like this to me proud of you kid and like that's it like i am woo, i've arrived you yes. know so yes. it depends who does the light up as well right so i can get all the accolades from somebody who doesn't know me and although that's beautiful and yeah. i love it you know when you get it from your people particularly the ones that have a hard time giving it to you or haven't for a long time you know yeah. i was listening i was telling the story the other day but my boy my my boys my husband and his brother brothers just walked their mama home so they uh we buried our mother my mother-in-law uh, a couple of weeks ago and to watch these three boys she had three sons navigate each other and they're very rough tough farm boys yeah and so they just didn't understand it was so hard to be gentle they didn't want this to be our truth yeah mm -hmm. and so as they started to sort of settle into her it was so interesting and the other day um i was with one of them in toronto and and he said okay how's my brother doing and i said well he's worried about you honey and he said what what do you mean he's worried about me to watch them understand that there's a care amongst them now is mm -hmm. just remarkable and you should have seen that oh, okay yeah 
Yeah. So when we, we have no idea how much we mean to each other. And it's sometimes it's the facilitation of those relationships that sometimes can mean everything. Yeah. And I like that you use the word dance because I've always used kind of the word. It's a game. We're all in a game. We're playing a game. But dance just seems so much softer to me. Yeah. Harriet Lerner wrote a number of books. Yeah. yeah. Harriet Lerner is an amazing psychologist and she wrote The Dance of Intimacy, The Dance of Anger. And I really, you know, her work is phenomenal. Yeah. But I, I love that. Um, in, in emotion focused therapy too, they talk about the tango, she calls it. Sue Johnson mm -hmm. calls it a tango that couples often get into when they're trying to sort of figure out the dance. And sometimes we initiate and it's not received. So we're like, you know what? Fuck you. I'm not stepping in again. And then the next time somebody else steps in and there and you weren't ready or you weren't, you know, open to receive it. You know, we've all had this like, okay, fine. I'm sorry. And you're like, oh, now you're going to apologize. How about you apologize like you mean it? And you're like, you know what? If you can't accept that apology, I'm never going to do it again. And so that's just such an example, right, of a mismatch in the dance. And so I'm going to be vulnerable in a way to sort of like put a toe in the water and just sort of see if you can receive it. And no, you slammed the door on my toe. So guess what? We're never opening that door again. And nice. that is essentially what happens after years and years together is that we then sort of get in this place where we stay in our separate rooms. We're in the same vicinity because we really want to be near each other. But the risk it takes yeah. to open that door. And so sometimes we do it when we're drunk. Sometimes we do it when, you know, there's, there's a third person that can kind of like both open both doors, which is PS what therapy means. And sometimes it is that sort of human in our life that sort of facilitates it. Oh my gosh, we love to spend time with, you know, whoever, because, you know, we both feel seen when we're in their presence and we actually are nicer to each other. So it's, it's, oh, it's interesting yeah. because the risk of sort of coming together sometimes is, is, the, is the key. Oh, Okay, I've only got two minutes. I'm going to um, just wrap up something that I read that I loved about you, that that you have um, two beliefs. Well, I'm sure you've got a lot more than that, but the one is you are exactly where you need to be right yeah. now. Yeah. And the other one is we're all wired for connection and we were never meant to do this alone. Mm -hmm. I just think that's a beautiful message. It's simple, like you said, bring it back to what we can do and that's next best right kind thing. You're not going to be great. We all get overwhelmed with this. Like, oh my goodness, the state of the world. How are we ever going to do this? I need to start a nonprofit. I need to do this. I'm never enough. I don't have enough resources or money or um, letters behind my name. Jesus. Next best right kind thing. That's next, it. Next best right kind thing. Next best right kind thing. Okay. I like that. I got to write that down. <laughs> well, I, you know how amazing I think you are. I appreciate you so much for coming on and sharing with us. We are hopefully going to stick around for a few questions um, if you have time for that. For those of you um, who are here, thank you so much for being here. For those of you who are going to watch the replay, I appreciate that. And Dr. Jody, I cannot thank you enough for what you're doing, the difference you're making in the world for so many of us opening our eyes, opening our hearts, that's what we're here for. And we just need to show up, feel seen and offer that to other people. So mm. thank, thank you. you. Thank you for having me.